and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today on the Riff Raff podcast, we're chatting to Desmond Elliott Prize nominee Rowan Hasayo Buchanan. We'll be chatting all about her book, Harmless Like You, plus hearing Rowan's tips on how to get published and how to find an agent that's right for you. your book harmless like you could you tell us a little bit about what it's what it's about okay it follows uh, yuki a, a young japanese woman growing up in new york in the 1960s 1970s up until she has a child and this isn't a spoiler you do find it out very early on in the book who she abandons um and so about sort of how and why that happens and about her son jay in the present day or 2016 um who is forced to go see her in berlin Mm. i think that's such an interesting thing about when you've just had your book come out and people say well what's it about and you try and give a summary how do you do that without giving it all away (laughs) like can you how do how are you managing to do it without giving massive spoilers you're just kind of giving a brief overview i think i tried to talk quickly and it does help that you you sort of know with my book what the end is, but you don't know why the end happens or what caused it very early. So that gives me a little bit of wiggle room. Um, more I get stuck in the sort of seeing the woods for the trees and I want to tell you about everything. I want to tell you about the bald cat. And then I'm like, that doesn't fit into this. <laughs> There's a bald cat. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh but that doesn't fit into like the small summary that you're trying to give. So I try to remember how my editor describes it and then like, I will copy her. <laughs> God for editors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, so may, um, could you tell us how, like when the idea kind of came came to you, like how you kind of like came up with the idea for the book? Of course. Um, so my I had been working on a different book and it wasn't quite working for various reasons. And then my mother had a health scare, and she didn't know who she was she didn't know where she was she didn't you know she was eating a bagel and she didn't know where it came from and my brother told her and she then asked him again and I wasn't in the same place as her so I couldn't help and I also didn't want to be like this burden on my family going yeah well I'm sad my mommy's sick um so I pretty much just cancelled everything I was doing and I stayed exactly where I was and I didn't write anything um but I just started thinking who I would be without this woman and Luckily, it turned out that it was um, she recovered completely and she's fine. Um, but sort of the thought stayed with me if would I be with this woman. And she's been a very wonderful mother, but she also has many other capabilities. And I know in the way of many mothers, we know when we were kids, every time where she was like, why am I here? I could be doing this, that or the other. Um, and so I started thinking, OK, what if someone did leave their child? Um, how what would that take if you weren't, you know, a sort of caricaturishly evil person if you and that was sort of where the seed of the novel came from a little bit Mm. one of the things that we really picked up on was the idea of identity um how you identify yourself and that ties in with you know who you are in relation to your parents and things and we were just wondering you identify as i've got it written down japanese british chinese american yes um (laughs) so how much of your own identity do you think is in your characters and in your stories that's an interesting one because I think when I was writing it, I didn't think, oh, I'm writing my identity. I did conceive of it as fiction. Um, but then 
I was asked about it later, and I found that I had all these feelings after I'd written the book that had, must have been lurking within me. Um, so, for example, a lot of the book takes place in sort of 1960s, 1970s New York, which is a part of time and a place that is written about a lot. But I grew up with all these stories about my family. My mom is half Japanese, half Chinese um, in New York at that time. And they sort of touched on the movies and the books and the things. But, like, you know, the movies where I saw Asian people at that time, that was Breakfast at Tiffany's and Yellowface. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> Glad to say we've moved on since then. <laughs> and I wanted to write a book where a family that wasn't my family but had some things in common with my family were allowed to exist in that time. Um, so it became more... As I explained it to other people where it wasn't always intuitive, I began to realize I had all these feelings. One of the other things is that her son, Jay, is a mixed race, but he grows up without his Japanese parent, and that causes him to have certain feelings about his identity. Um, and when I see about my life without my mother, that would actually have been a big thing for me. Without she, because I grew up in England, she was my like access into that cultural history or those cultural histories. Yeah. So you're studying for a PhD at the moment yes. at East Anglia. Yes. What's the PhD in? Um, so the University of East Anglia has this really interesting PhD that because that school has this big history of creative writing um, that's sort of partially critical and partially creative. Um, so you end up doing sort of your your final manuscript will have some creative work. So for some people it's poetry, for some people it's memoir, for me it's fiction. Um, and then some very serious lit crit, um, just not on your own work on, you know, other books. Um, and so anyway, I started doing this program and I didn't know if my first book was going to get published or not because I was trying to carve out time for myself to write. And I thought, you know, your first short story, you were eight and it was about dragons and it was not, awesome. <laughs> it was not excellent. And so, you know, you had to write a lot of short stories before it got published. So I thought, well, if I can't publish my first novel, then at least I'll be in a program where at least I will have some sense of structure, which for me was helpful, um, especially as I had actually been previously teaching English literature and having a PhD would only have been helpful. So it was sort of a nice killing two birds with one stone. And then the book got published. Thomas got published and I was really happy, but I thought, well, actually, I like this PhD, so I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have, we had a, another author who's also doing his PhD, Paul Cooper. Mm. He's, he's doing it at Eastland here as well. Do you, have you guys? Yeah, I know Paul. Amazing. Yeah, he, he spoke at our first event. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. So we, we really enjoyed having him. We, you know, his book was again, again covered different, you know, time areas and you know continents and stuff. So that was really interesting too. Um. So, so obviously you've done a lot of qualifications. So you you've studied in and you went to Columbia and you went, there was one in Wisconsin. Yes, that um, was my master's degree. Okay, cool. So like, obviously, as as like sort of. I think a lot of people who are trying to, or who want to become writers, wonder whether education is essential, like education within the writing field. And as someone who's obviously extensively educated, would you recommend that they do these courses, like similar courses? I think that there's this, I'm not saying you're doing this, but there's this sort of conversation that makes no sense to me where it's like, either writing programs are amazing or they're evil. And I think it really just depends on what's right for you. I would never say you have to do it. Um, they're brilliant, brilliant writers. I mean, you know, these programs are fairly recent. Tolstoy did not get an MFA. Yeah. <laughs> He's fine. Um, but if, 
for some reason, if it does appeal to you, if it does work for you, then I think it can be a really wonderful way of finding a sense of community, finding other people who are interested in the same things you are and who don't think it's dumb when you say, oh, I'm working on a novel. Because I know for many novelists, it's scary and you're scared of embarrassing yourself and you just want another human being to read it and go, is this real? Yeah. And that can be very helpful. But I would say if someone's very settled in their life and they have time to write and they have people who are reading, then they don't have to go. Like, I don't think people who have MFAs are better or worse writers. It's more sort of a way of honing your craft. And there are so many ways to do that. Mm. And it must be really just, if you love writing, it must just, I, I just feel it must be so enjoyable just to like be studying it all the time and to be learning lots of different things. And not like, I, I kind of think it would be a wonderful thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really lovely. Enjoyable, yeah. I really like it. Well, I was interested about what you said about carving out time for writing, and that's something I'm always really interested in. That unless you're a full-time writer, which most debut author, debut authors <laughs> aren't, go. always we got there in the end. Um, you know, when do you find the time to write? Do you get up at five a.m. and do you write, or do you do it last thing before you go to bed, or do you do half an hour whilst you're on the tube and stuff? How do you find that you write best when or where? That's interesting. So at the moment, I have this luxury of the fact that I'm being a novelist and I'm doing this PhD, but I'm not, you know, doing a nine to five job. So I don't want to, you know, give my two cents and just be a jerk. But for me, the thing that helps is to write in the morning and to write before I do my emails, although I keep cheating on that. But like, I find it's better if I can do it before I do my emails, because otherwise my brain gets caught up in all these minutiae and in certain habits of writing mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily the freshest or most awake. Um, I find if I leave something till late at night, then I'll just be tired yeah. and I won't want to do it or you know, the, whatever the day has worn down in me. I think I had a teacher once who said something that I found really, really helpful, which is, um, her name is Linda Berry. She's actually a graphic novelist and a novelist, um, is never take more than three days off and preferably only take like one day off because she said look if all you do is write a sentence that's fine that's absolutely fine it's just about keeping your head in the world because the more time you spend away from it the more work you'll have to do just to be in it and so she was like look if you're really really busy just add a sentence or tweak a paragraph and that will mean that you come back to it. and I do find for me that is very helpful it also makes it seem less daunting because yeah. if you haven't done it for a month and you want to find the perfect time to do it whereas if you've been doing it every day then you can be like okay I'll just add a little bit here or oh, I just really want to fix that one thing yeah, yeah that's great advice it's a really good idea yeah. like when you, the, the longer you leave it the more you're like oh I need to get back into it and it's kind of it feels definitely feels like a more daunting task yeah. I'm supposed to be yeah. training for a half marathon and I haven't run for like two months and the thought of going for a run <laughs> actually really well. yeah so I, I just I mean I'll do it tomorrow I'll do it tomorrow <laughs> one day I won't be able anymore um how long does it take you to write your book roughly three and a half years i want to say sort of three and a half years until it got accepted for publication and then we spent another couple of months with my editor going back and forth she's wonderful actually she edited it over like the christmas holiday oh, wow. um, dedication. <laughs> which i thought was really on her sister's computer it was very oh, nice it was lovely Francine Toon, she's at Scepter and she's wonderful and she's also a poet. Yay, Francine. Francine, yeah. She's also a poet as well. Yes. Oh, I love poets. 
do you because everything that I've kind of read has said how poetic your prose is and how kind of just like wonderful it is 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 poetry something that you've dabbled in before as well or I don't write poetry um I read poetry perhaps which is perhaps an influence because I find sometimes I if I just want a new voice or something fresh or just to be excited about sentences I think poetry can be really good for that for me I need the sense of narrative because I think poets are really brave and they get out there and it's just like the poem has to sound its own two feet it doesn't have a plot to hold it up it doesn't have you know all the things that novelists get to have yeah, yeah all the kind of comfort blankets yeah exactly and what so as well as kind of um obviously reading is so important to writing and so mm. you read poetry is there anything else that you read that kind of you really take inspiration for or more i try to read pretty widely and obviously i say that but then you know there's always something you're trying to get to sort of both in terms of um genre i tend to like that mysterious category we call literary realism i enjoy it but i also try to make myself read outside of it because otherwise you risk sounding too much like everybody else in this one slot and it can be really inspiring to read like a detective novel even if there aren't dead bodies in your novel and go oh but you did your pacing like that i want to steal it um and i the thing I'm working on at the moment, actually, is trying to make myself stop reading so much contemporary and read a little bit back. Because I think, I don't agree with the writers who are like, oh, I never read contemporary because my personal feeling is if you never read contemporary, why should anyone read you? Which is maybe yeah. mean. But um, I also do think that there is a, there's a great deal to be learned from the past. And I'm, so I'm like, no, you can't be just really excited about this novel that just came out. You have to read some older things. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you wish you'd known before starting to write your book? that's a tough one um i don't think there is anything because i think if you told me i would have just not believed you because i was like do i want to have known that i would get published and actually i just wouldn't have believed you this is a, could be like an angel golden light i wouldn't have believed you um i think probably and sort of all the craft lessons you learn in the doing of it i think um but possibly actually that one piece of advice from my teacher because I find that I sort of in conversations with people often bring it up so clearly it made a very big impact on me I suppose we're really lucky getting all this advice aren't we like I, I was you know when you said that thing about kind of always making sure you don't leave too, too long I was thinking yeah that's another tip that we can apply I'm just gonna go write that down yeah. in our private notebook <laughs> we'll just have to be sharing really it with everyone yeah. yeah I think probably one other piece of advice that I find very comforting is I had um, a teacher named Sam Lipsight, who later published a book called The Fun Parts. But before he published it, he actually gave us some advice where he was like, just skip to the fun parts. Like, if you're not, don't don't write this, like, boring thing that you're bored about and, like, write the bit you're really excited about and then figure out how to make it work. And I actually, I find that really helpful because I think when you are doing what you feel like is grunt work it comes out in the prose and the reader's like oh the writer is bored i'm really bored and then sometimes the transition you thought you needed a chapter for actually you need a paragraph or a couple of sentences because you can make those jumps and i thought that helps me feel a little bit braver sometimes so are you would you say that you're a planner did you kind of plan out everything that you wanted to happen within the story or were you sit your pants um i knew what was going to happen at the end but I had no idea how I was going to get there. So it was sort of a long and meandering route. But then I am I tend to be someone who edits for a very long time. And I always think, oh, if I had a plan, then 
I wouldn't need to do this editing, but that's not not true. No matter how hard I plan or try to plan, I just I need to do the editing. So I think I've just come to terms with that's the writer I am. Yeah. What What do you sorry? What do you yeah, think are your like um, favorite? What do you think was your favorite part of writing the book? The most fun part. Ooh. Apart from obviously writing the fun parts. I. It's odd. I believe in revision. I believe in editing. And I have to drag myself through it. But um, And I love first drafts. Like, I know people who are scared of the blank page. I like, love looking at the blank page and going, I'm going to ruin you. <laughs> um, but there's this, like, moment, I think, when you're writing and you hit the sense of flow. And you hit... The, and there's this incredible wave of narcissism where you're like, I'm God. And this is an amazing book. <laughs> and I'm going to be amazing. <laughs> and then you wake up the next day. And, of course, it's requires a lot of editing you're like what was i writing what did that sentence even mean but it's a great feeling while it's happening (laughs) it probably is i think for writers that when you hit a stride and it comes out in ready form sentences and you're like i'm brilliant this is great (laughs) but then as soon as you clock that you're in that zone yeah then you're like oh i've lost it it's it's (laughs) so elusive isn't it it's like the news visits you and then leaves you all alone um and you obviously you are, you are nominated for the desmond elliott prize how does that feel congratulations and also yeah. a multitude a litany of, other of others yeah. um how does it feel to be nominated i mean it's sort of one of those things where i don't know what to do other than sort of cry like anne hathaway but <laughs> <laughs> i say do that but i just do that oh but no i'm i'm really really happy because i just Every time I see it in a bookstore, I go, oh my god! So just, this was a really unexpected joy, and I think it also makes my family quite happy, which is always nice, because yeah. um, they look often look at me with great concern, like, so, you're doing this now, are you? <laughs> like, I guess because you got published, you're going to keep doing this. And I'm like, I hope, please. <laughs> uh, wh- where were you when you were, ch- so obviously you've been like nominated and shortlisted for a lot of prizes, but like, where were you when you found out about this specific one? Like, how did you celebrate? <laughs> oh, um... How did I feel? I, goodness. Apart from um, crying like Anna. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I found out sort of accidentally. Um, I think I just had a conversation with my editor um, where when we first, she took me on. This is silly, but she, she was like, I love your book and I think it will like nominated for prizes and things and I was like oh I hope so that would be nice um and then I had a conversation with her where I was like so I know it's only you know it had been nominated for something actually but I was feeling like guilty for I don't know I wanted her to be happy so I was like oh I guess it probably won't be nominated for anything else like I hope it's okay and like apparently she was going I know it's been nominated nominated for Desmond (laughs) Elliott but I can't tell you so she was like there, 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 there. And then, like, ten minutes later, um, which is quite odd, my agent had to call me out something, and it turned out she was able to tell me. Um, and she said, oh, so this thing. And I was like, I think it was, like, outside. I was, like, all, you know, doing all this thing for you. Like, oh, I'll just take this call while I walk somewhere. And so I was like, must it look like a weirdo? This is a podcast, so no one can see the weird faces I'm pulling. She's <laughs> very weird faces, yeah. But, like, um... And so, yeah, I think I was just outside and I, like, Facebook messaged a couple of my friends going, yay, I'm really happy. I mean, it was not a very grand celebration, but, it, you know, it was a joy in itself. Yeah, it will do. 
the sun it. came out yeah. behind a cloud. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we're we're 100% behind you and wish you all the best. Thank of luck. you. Are you working on something new now or are you concentrating on the PhD or what's I, Well, I am work, I am working on a novel that's sort of messy and in need of much editing, so I'm not going to talk about, but um hopefully at some point it will come into the world. So, would you just maybe let us in on how you found your agent and that kind of process? Okay, so I was sending out to people um, in a way that you shouldn't send out. My friend sent out by having an Excel spreadsheet and she listed everything in very ordered way and she had a schedule. I was sending out when I was sad in the night. Um, <laughs> but and I, I, it felt like a lot of people, I now realize it was like maybe 12. Um, but I, and they were mostly in America because I was living in America at that time. And... Someone, um, through various means, had um, passed on my manuscript to the woman who's my agent now, but I didn't know that much about her. And sort of after I'd been waiting, what I, I basically waited a year um, because for some people, you get your agent very quickly, you get your book deal very quickly. For some people, you get agent takes forever, book deals fast. I was sort of of that category, and some people, it's agent quickly, book deals. Takes, takes, takes a while. Yeah, Slow. Yeah. Words. Um, supposed to be good at them. <laughs> but so for me, I very long time for the agents. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm terrible. Um, and so I got a call and very fittingly for my novel, um, I was, I took it standing outside the Guggenheim in New York, which is this big art gallery and I um, Lucy called me and she was like, oh, this is what I like about your book. This is what I think maybe we want to edit before we send it out. Um, you know, this is the people who I represent. And I was like, oh, you represent some people who I actually know and I'm excited about. Um, and so I wanted to say like, yes, 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 yes. And she was like, no, take a day to think about it, which I actually think looking back, it was a really good sign Ooh, of her yeah. as a person. Uh, and what was very odd was then that week, um, as sort of the cliche about buses there was actually an American agent who um, I'd sent to got back to me and said oh I would love to represent you and she's a great agent there's nothing wrong with her at all but she wanted to send out my book immediately she was like your book is done it's done we can send it out and I had this moment where I was like what do I do um, and I realized that I felt that I'd gotten the book to as place where it was as good as I could make it but I thought mm, I actually want an agent partially to help me in this with this jump and so I ended up going with Lucy who I'm really happy about she and I did two rounds of edits with it and I think that's one of those moments where I sort of when I talk to people who are unhappy with their agents it's often because the thing they want and their agent wants aren't aligned so maybe if you do get an agent Offer, think really carefully about how much editing you want. You may be done. You may, like, hate being edited. You might be like, I've been doing this yeah. for seven years and, like, can't do it anymore. I just want to send out. Um, but being very clear-eyed about that, I think, was really helpful. Um, and had you written the entire manuscript before you sent it out to agents? We've got, we've had d varying views on whether you do the first three chapters or... I had written the entire manuscript, I think, because it was my first novel and I didn't know... You know, I didn't know if I could finish it when I started writing it. Um, and so I had written the whole thing all the way through. And actually, when I sent out to agents, I just had a cover letter where I described the novel and then said, if you want, I'll send it to you or an excerpt. And I think I was asked to send the whole manuscript by everyone I had sent to. So it felt like it was the right choice for me. Yeah. 
Um, they say for fiction that you should have the whole manuscript because if you've written three chapters and then they're like, oh, I really want to see all this. Mm. And then you're like, okay, wait a give year. Me, give me, yeah, give me eight months yeah, or so to write, a, write with you. And I think, and I think this is part this is probably true of editors as well. Obviously, I only have my editor, but I was very, very, very lucky. And um, we had a book auction and someone who wanted to take it. That's so exciting. I know, it was yeah, great. Were you losing your mind? I'd just been like, oh my God. I, w- I had kind of stopped sleeping. I was very happy and very confused. Um, <laughs> and can you maybe explain a little bit about that? Because... I'm imagining a book auction, you know, like the Antiques Roadshow. People are just like sat in an audience being like, I'm bidding for it, but it's obviously done remotely and all that kind of stuff. Well, it was sort of. Um, So basically, Francine came to visit me in Norwich because she wanted to um, preempt, which is when, I didn't know any of this, when a publisher says, oh, we really like your book and we want to buy it, but we don't want you to send it to auction. So we're offering you this much. And if you take now but we're not promising if you go to auction that we will offer you the same amount of money and a lot of people take preempts they can be completely the right choice i called my agent i was like what do i do this is so exciting are we gonna go and she was like no because i have heard interest and so we are going for an auction and i was like wait someone wants to publish my book and we're not taking it okay yeah okay i'm fine no yeah what's happening um, and actually someone else preempted, so then she was like, really, really, like, we are going to auction. I was like, okay, okay. Um, and so what happened was we, they had a couple of rounds of that, and then I visited the sort of people, because every round, basically, someone goes, ah, this is my price point, I'm out. Um, and then, sort of, in the end, we had final bidding, and there were three people who were all amazing, amazing publishing houses, but they had different, slightly different perspectives, and the thing I was going to say about agents, um, but I think it's also true of editors. No, it's fine. Um, is that it's not just about how much someone wants to edit, but it's does the edit they describe sound like the book you want your book mm. to be? Because it can be really like I, all of the people I knew have had very unhappy relationships. It's when someone's pushing a novel to have a happy ending that they don't want to have a happy ending or yeah. something like that. Um, because someone can be appreciative of your vision but still give you useful critical notes and being able to try to distinguish those is useful. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in terms of the agent that you sought out, those you talked about sort of having a shortlist of about 12, did you target agents specifically? Did you think, right, my book is sort of this genre, The I know these agents represent similar books, or did you just kind of, how did you go about that process? Sorry, that's stepping back kind of a bit slightly from... No, but I think that's a useful thing, it's especially... Really useful, yeah. um, so I just sort of did two things. One was if there was, if you go to the back of books, people very often thank their agents. And so if there's a book you really, really, really love and you think has something in common with your book, then there's more chance they're going to like it than if it's someone completely different. And you can then also like write to them and say, I really love this book and this work you did. And it's not a fake compliment if you mm. did, you know, yeah, and it makes them know that you're not sending it out to just some like spreadsheet that you found online. Um, and they're then more likely to pay attention and the other thing I was doing was um, I did know some writers and writing teachers and etc. And so I, um, when they had an agent, um, if they like me, you know, sometimes they said, oh, send to my agent or send this agent I know. Um, and so sort of that can get your manuscript looked at. Like no one's going to take it on that basis. But agents get so, so many manuscripts mm. that really what you just want them to do is like start reading um so yeah <laughs> that's that such good easy advice isn't it look in the back of your favorite books yeah, and yeah. find out 
if you know who their agents are because I think you know that seems can seem like an impossible task how do I even find an agent and that's just such such a good tip yeah, <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> just hang around in bookshops. Hang around that's, bookshops. that's what I did. That's what I did. Really, yeah, I just went and looked at all the books that I really yeah liked, and then yeah. thought, okay, I'll talk about and, yeah. and Google. And it's Google. a very very good tool. Our old friend yeah. Google. <laughs> yeah. Great, yes. thank so you, quick. Rowan. Thank you so much for joining us at the Riff Raff. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. And good luck. Thank you. The Riff Raff Podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com. Peace!